With Bryce Young, Hinton Hooker, Stetson Bennett, and others preparing for the NFL draft, that creates a pretty open-ended discussion for who will be the best quarterback in the SEC in 2023. This is SEC Football Unfiltered. I'm Blake Topmeyer along with John Adams. We're going to dive into that quarterback conversation today as we try to uh, to draft the best possible quarterback room uh, going head-to-head here. And, and John will make his picks. I'll make mine. And we'll see who can, who can build it the strongest. We'll also get into uh, some of the recent coordinator hires, discuss Georgia's hire of Mike Bobo and uh, Alabama hiring Tommy Reese from Notre Dame. John, welcome back to the the pod this week. We missed you last week. Christina Long did a great job filling in, but it's never the same as as having John Adams on the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. I I missed you guys too. Uh, But it wasn't like I was out partying. I was in a hospital and uh, that's in the best of situations. That's not a good time, but uh, I've come through that and glad to be back. So you're letting me get – I guess that's a sympathy pick. Maybe you're letting me have first picks since I, I'm kind of on the mend here. That's right. You got the number one overall pick as we, we go head-to-head building our, our quarterback depth charts here. But I actually kind of like my position because then I get picks number two and three. But be that as it may, no pressure here, you, number one pick. Well, yeah, you'll probably like your position even more after I pick. I'm, I really pride myself in anticipating things. So I'm anticipating that my first pick will get guffaws, ridicule, and maybe even uh, what's wrong with him. Maybe he still should be in the hospital. But nonetheless, here I go. I'll stay strong with my convictions. I'm going with a combo pick because I'm not sure who'll be a number one quarterback at Tennessee. I'm going with Joe Milton. Slash Nico Ilama Alava. Is that close on the last name? Uh, not even close. And if you're okay. going to make him part of your number one pick, I, I think we should get the pronunciation. Okay. Iamaliava. 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 Nico. Nico. Iamaliava. Something like that. I will recite that all day long. I'm determined to get that right because he could be my number one pick. You invest a lot in that. You're right. You should at least be able to pronounce his name. uh, And I can pronounce Nico all day long. I'm not sure he'll be the QB. Joe Milton really showed me something against Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Three touchdown passes, no turnovers, big time arm. He's controlling that arm a little better. So I'm not sure he can't I, – I, if I had a bet, I would say Nico will be the quarterback by the end of the season. But either way, I feel really good about Tennessee's quarterback situation. So I was a little unaware here that we could take two quarterbacks for one <laughs> pick. Uh, so I just got one one quarterback per round. That's uh, You're bending the rules here with a Joe Milton slash Nico, but I'll, I'll allow it. You're, you're coming out of the hospital. You've appear to maybe be still in a fugue state. I, I can't believe you've gone with Tennessee's combo uh, with your, yeah. your number one pick. I think you could have got them a few rounds later, but you, you're you not worried about what I'm doing. You're just going to get your guys, I guess. Uh, yeah, I am. I mean, I, I I believe in what I'm doing. I've done my homework. I've, I've watched all of these guys, and I'm convinced that I made a good pick here, and we'll see how it plays out. How much 
John, I'm curious, how much did the Orange Bowl performance influence your outlook of uh, of Tennessee's quarterback situation this year? I mean, if if it, let's say there uh, there was a COVID flare up and they canceled the bowl game and Tennessee's season ended after after the win against Vanderbilt, which uh, with jo- Joe Milton started, played okay, but was not nearly as good as he was against Clemson. How much of this outlook do you think is is affected by just that last showing from Milton? Uh, tremendously. I wouldn't have even made that pick in the fourth round if we had a fourth <laughs> round. Yeah, that was totally influenced by one game. I'm easily impressed. Uh, you know, I, I can be very negative or very positive depending on just one performance and then quickly change my path and go in a different direction if the perform- next performance doesn't follow suit. So, yeah, but that had everything to do with my pick. He didn't look great against Vanderbilt. It was a rainy night. He showed his big arm, but he overthrew a lot of guys, which has kind of been a knock on him. Nonetheless, the Clemson game really stands out. That was the top 10 team. Not a great Clemson defense, not a great Clemson secondary, but still a a, a pretty good team, a pretty good defense. So, yeah, that sold me completely. And and Clemson was was just coming off of a, a win against North Carolina, uh, in which they did a pretty good job bottling up Drake May, North Carolina's star quarterback. Uh, I mean, that was that was a lopsided win, 39-10. So you're right. I mean, this is not was not one of Clemson's best teams, but you know they 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 just showed the the game before what they can do in, in slowing down a star quarterback. And they intercepted Drake May twice. You know, held him under 300 yards passing, and then yeah, and then and then Joe Milton was was really flawless in that game. Um, in, in Miami. So it, it, the advanced metrics love Tennessee, John. You know, Bill Connolly is kind of the metrics guru from ESPN. Um, I actually like Bill C's work. He he does some stuff that, that nobody else really does. And, and I think some of his numbers are, are pretty predictive. He, he was, um, you know, he was high on, on Mississippi State's advanced metrics going into last season. I, I sort of bought in on that and Mississippi State delivered. He does a good job evaluating returning production and also some of your newcomers projecting what, what they might be able to do. He has Tennessee as a top 10 team in his metrics influenced rankings. Uh, you know, the so-called too early rankings, I guess, but these are, you know, it's not just him throwing darts. These are all influenced by his metrics and he, he's kind of tied to that. And he, he has Tennessee, I believe that is number six or number seven in his rankings. I know you're pretty high on the balls, you know, despite the loss of, of Hinn and hooker and Jalen Hyatt and, and others as well. you, you seem to think that maybe 10 and two is possibly attainable for Tennessee this year, right? Yeah, very much so. And I'm not basing that on metrics, obviously, but I can see where he might come to that conclusion. I'm just a big believer in Josh Heupel's offense uh, that led the nation in scoring average per game last season. And so any quarterback in this system, whoever he deems is his number one guy, I think it's going to be pretty successful. Uh, that's pr- that We saw that with Hendon Hooker. If we go back and look at Hendon Hooker coming from Virginia Tech, transferred to Tennessee when Jeremy Pruitt was still messing around there at Tennessee. And, and he thrived. He starred in Josh Heupel's offense. And, and I think uh, I'm not dismissing Hendon Hooker's talent by any stretch, but I think what happened – Josh Heupel's offensive system showcase that talent, and I think he can do that with other quarterbacks as well. 
All right, so I got two picks here trying to match your combo pick in, in round one. <laughs> uh, you, you may know where I'm going to lead off, John. There, there are a few sports writers out there who, uh, who seem to like K.J. Jefferson as much as I do, the veteran Arkansas quarterback. Now, K.J., uh, he dealt with uh, some injuries last year, missed a couple games. Arkansas lost both games that it did not have him. Uh, just really like him as a dual threat. I'm always kind of a sucker for those dual threat quarterbacks. Um, throws a pretty good deep ball. And, and, and as we draft quarterbacks here, you know, it's important to remember, we're not drafting the entire offense of that team. We're drafting the quarterback. So I'm envisioning you know, putting a couple marquee wide receivers around KJ, uh, letting him him run it a bit. And I, I kind of like what, what that would look like. Uh, you know, a guy, like I said, with, with a few years of starting experience, he's going to be working with a new offensive coordinator this year after Kendall Bryles left Arkansas. Arkansas hired Dan Enos, uh, who has been in Arkansas before. And Dan Enos previously was, was the offensive coordinator at Maryland. If you look at what Maryland did last season, uh, had a pretty good year and, and was one of the better passing offenses in the Big Ten uh, with Tua's younger brother at quarterback there. So, you know, I, I have pretty high hopes for what K.J. Jefferson might do in, in his final hurrah, I guess, at, at Arkansas uh, after the Hogs didn't quite meet my expectations last year. But uh, you know, I don't think that was the, the fault of my man K.J. He had had one of the better seasons when he was healthy, when he was out there had one of the better seasons of this batch of returning quarterbacks in the SEC. So before I get to my second pick, your, your thoughts on me uh, burning my first pick on K.J. Jefferson. Well, I don't have a problem with that pick. I, I really like K.J. Jefferson. I, I have an affinity for quarterbacks that can run over linebackers. <laughs> me too. I always have. I mean, Tim Tebow won me over the first time I ever saw him run over somebody. And I can still remember the national championship game when he ran over uh, Ohio State's uh, All-American linebacker in the end zone. So I love watching guys like that. Remember Oklahoma when he had – remember Blake Bell? He played tight end at Oklahoma. But they put him back there in the Wildcats. I mean, he was a Tebow-like, K.J. Jefferson-like quarterback. He just run over people. And so I love watching K.J. Jefferson play. I think if he had – if he could have kept Traylon Burks with him uh, forever and ever throughout his college career, uh, it would have had a huge impact on his numbers. But I think that's a good pick. And I like to, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's a, he's a pretty low interception guy, which results in him, um, you know, last year, I think quarterback efficiency or quarterback rating, uh, whatever they call it in the college ranks, uh, efficiency rating. Um he was number two in the conference behind Hinn and Hooker. Hinn and Hooker was, uh, of, of course, the number one spot because he only threw two interceptions all year. Hooker was incredibly efficient. Uh, but but Jefferson wasn't far behind. He completed almost 70% of his passes, just five interceptions. So I think he's a steady hand. And and like we said, I, I, I like that he can run it as well. So my next pick is... Um, is influenced by the last month of the season. You know, you said you're, you're kind of a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately guy, and you were really smitten by Joe Milton's bowl performance. Well, Spencer Rattler had one of the best months of November of any quarterback in the country. Uh, he absolutely lit up Tennessee, which you can join a long list of, of, of quarterbacks who lit up Tennessee's pass coverage last year. Um, but he was phenomenal in that game, threw six touchdowns, threw a couple picks against Clemson, 
but he also threw for over 350 yards. He was, he was solid in that game, minus those couple interceptions. Um, really just had a, a strong final month of the season with the exception uh, of the Florida game. Wasn't good in that one. But, you know, four of his last five games, uh, Spencer Rattler played played really well. And, and they, they kind of took the training wheels off of him at the end of the season. You know, they, their running back room, uh, was like the injury injured reserve. They didn't they didn't have many healthy backs. They weren't uh, they weren't real dominant up front anyway. Their offensive line, you know, was not particularly good in, in opening up running lanes nor protecting the quarterback. And so they just let Rattler start slinging it the past several weeks of the season, and it brought out the best in him. And, and Juice Wells, uh, their wide receiver, was really good that last month of the year as well. So this is I, I think there are maybe safer options to pick here. Uh, but I feel like I got Mr. Reliable in, in my first round pick or, or my number one pick with KJ Jefferson. So I think this can give me an opportunity to take a little bit more of a risk. And I think if, if Spencer Rattler is the Spencer Rattler we saw in the final month of last season, I think there are a few SEC quarterbacks who are better. Yeah, I like that pick too. I I really was impressed with the Spencer Rattler when he was at Oklahoma. I know he lost his job to future Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, but uh, high percentage quarterback. I think Spencer Rattler can scare coaches because he does force things at times. He is a playmaker, uh, scrambling around. He will test the defense. He'll chunk it into double coverage, but he can be very accurate, and he's one of those guys that's kind of streaky. When he gets hot, and when he did it against Tennessee, I don't think there's any defense in the country that wants to play against him if he has an adequate supporting cast. So, yeah, I, I really like Spencer Rattler. Honestly, I don't know what Shane Beamer was thinking, why he waited so long. He had to know what he had in this guy. If you're going to if you're going to sign Spencer Rattler, let's don't rely on a run game and and play action. Let's turn him loose. I, I can't help but wonder if South Carolina's season would have been different for the better if Spencer Rattler had had a free reign uh, from the get-go. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, you could say maybe the first month of the season, they thought, ah, oh, he's still learning the offense, yeah. still getting his, his arms around this thing. But, you know, even in October, he, he wasn't you know, given the freedom to, to sling it quite like he was in, in the last month of the year. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think Shane Beamer, if you take like the 10,000 foot view, you really have to be encouraged. I think if you're a South Carolina fan by the direction of the program, particularly the way last season finished with those wins against Tennessee and Clemson, they signed their best recruiting class um, in, in more than a decade since sort of the, the height of the Steve Spurrier era. So things seem to be going pretty well. Uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, but I do agree um, as, as far as like kind of a ground floor coaching decision of last season, uh, I think you're right. They probably should have un unleashed Spencer Rattler with a little more freedom earlier than they did, but hey, this is my team now. I I'm, I'm leading things and I'm, I'm letting him loose right out, of, right out of week one. You probably feel pretty good about your first two picks compared to my first picks. So I get to go now. I guess I get back-to-back -back picks here. I won't pick two quarterbacks from one team again, although I am tempted. But I'm going to pick next. I'm going to pick Jaden Daniels of LSU. And this is not the Jaden Daniels I saw at Arizona State. 
who I thought was a great, great athlete, very elusive in the open field and kind of fun to watch. But you're not going to win that many games with him, especially in the SEC. But uh, Brian Kelly obviously saw more in him. He tailored the offense to to fit his skill set. So the result, he just kept getting better as the season went along. And I became on many occasions a very accurate passer. He's got so much complimentary talent around him at LSU. I think he'll really have a big year. I think he'll be a Heisman Trophy candidate. So uh, he's my number two pick. Uh, Your response to that? Yeah, I I actually think maybe we got too clever here with our first few picks. I think uh, the easy pick right out of the gates would have been Jaden Daniels. I mean, if you're looking for someone who's maybe coming off the best season uh, as a returning quarterback in the SEC this year, I think Jaden Daniels would would rank pretty high. Um, he was very efficient as well in terms of limiting mistakes. He was accurate. And, uh, you know, I already said I like quarterbacks who can run it. Now, he runs it in a different way than K.J. Jefferson. He's probably not going to seek out contact from strong safeties and linebackers as much as, as Jefferson does. But, the, you know, in terms of an overall running quarterback, he might actually be the best uh, in the SEC at that. And it, and it really adds... Uh, you know, a perfect wrinkle, I think, to what Brian Kelly wants to do on offense. Brian Kelly's always like dual threat quarterbacks. Jaden Daniels really fits the mold. Um, yeah, I think I, I think this is about as late as, as we could have afforded to take him. I, I really I considered him pretty strongly for one of my top two picks, but decided to take a chance on on Spencer Rattler's ceiling. Well, um, uh, with my second pick, I go with the guy with a proven track record. Quite impressive production. Not so much with my third pick in Carson Beck of Georgia. I'm not convinced he will win the starting job, but since I was openly ridiculed about picking two quarterbacks from one team before as one pick, I won't go with the three-headed monster of Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, and Gunnar Stockton. I'll just pick Carson Beck. Uh, Highly recruited guy. He looks like a future pro quarterback. He's got a really nice release. He looks smooth back there. He's accurate. Uh, I don't know how the quarterback, uh, the how the offensive coordinator change will impact him, uh, but he's he's not. It's not like he's a statue back there either. He can run, but I just think he has an arm, and I think he'll he'll get a chance to showcase that. I think he's a guy who's been waiting to show what he can do, and uh, I saw him at the end of games last year when he was very proficient and I, I think he will be in Georgia's system. So that that's my third pick. Okay. So you, it seems like, you know, Jaden Daniels, the, the, your three picks so far, Jaden Daniels is sort of the, the safe option. You know what you're getting in Jaden Daniels uh, based on the way he played last year. And your others are, are more of a gamble. You're, you're Nico slash Joe Milton and Carson Beck. You're, you're betting, you're betting on the potential there. I, I see a strategy forming. Um, with, with my third pick, I'm betting on the potential for Devin Leary of Kentucky to recapture the Devin Leary of 2021 form. You know, coming into last year, North Carolina State was sort of like a, a sleeper college football playoff pick almost, or, or, or certainly at least a sleeper to win the ACC team. Well, Devin Leary got hurt and North Carolina State just just had a a good, not great season. And so it does concern me a little bit taking a guy who's coming off of a a shoulder injury 
that cut short his 2022 season. But I just I keep having visions of that year he had as a junior a couple years ago uh, when his draft stock really took off after that third season at NC State through 35 touchdowns, which is five interceptions that year, over 3,400 yards passing. I think, you know, when we start evaluating who did well in the portal in terms of upgrading at quarterback, boy, it's hard to find a team that upgraded more than what Kentucky had, I think. And, and part of that is because they really didn't have any answers at quarterback. And we saw that in the bowl game when Kentucky had to play the bowl without Will Levis who opted out. I mean, they desperately needed a quarterback and not only did they get one, um, they got one who, when he's at his best, you know, I think can be one of the best quarterbacks in the, in the country. And, and I do acknowledge it's a little bit of a risk to take a guy coming off a shoulder injury. Um, but again, I, I think I'm, I'm gambling there that, that Devin Leary can get back to something resembling his, his best. I don't think it's that big a gamble when his 21 numbers, as you pointed out, were great. Granted, you're doing it in the ACC, not the SEC. But uh, you you look at what Kentucky has returning with uh, those young receivers who did a really nice job last year. I think he's got some talent around him to really have to come back with a, a year may perhaps not as good as 21, but considerably close to that. So I like that also Liam Cohen, who apparently on is on this uh, back and forth shuttle between Kentucky and the NFL. He just goes back and forth. He's back to Kentucky this year. Guess he'll be off to the NFL in 2024, but he'll be working with him. So I like that pick too. He's a uh, man. You got to admit Kentucky and the transfer portal at quarterback has come up with Will Levis and now Devin Leary. That's pretty strong. Yeah, and I think uh, not that we're getting too deep into potential 2023 sleeper teams in this podcast, but I think you know teams like Texas A&M and South Carolina are, are going to get a lot of buzz as potential breakout teams that can you know exceed the Vegas projections or um, you know really really take off this year. I think I think Texas A&M is a good a good bet there, considering they were only five and seven last year and they returned so many starters, so much production from that team. I do think they're they're sort of a good dark horse pick. And I, and I understand South Carolina as well, based on what they flashed at the end of the year. But I do think Kentucky kind of fits nicely into that mold too, because if Devin Leary gets, gets back something to the way he was a couple years ago, I I really think that positions um, Kentucky well as a team that's kind of flying below the radar right now, in part because they failed to meet expectations this past year. But as you said, they got a, a blast from the past at offensive coordinator, and I think they have the potential, uh, despite all the draft buzz for Will Levis. I have the potential. I think they have the potential to be a lot better at quarterback uh, with with Devin Leary. So my last pick, John, going with a, a familiar hand here, someone with uh, a lot of starts, a lot of yards, a lot of completions to his name, Will Rogers, surviving this long, maybe a, a slight upset in this draft. I, I think for me, and I wonder if you as well. Part of the reason I didn't take Will Rogers sooner was, you know, he's he's been an air raid quarterback for the last few years. And though I do think it's sometimes unfair to label him as a system quarterback, I'm curious to see what it's going to look like now, uh, you know, in the wake of, of Mike Leach's uh, death in, in December, the change to Zach Arnett um, as coach and, and changing offensive systems as well. 
with the hire of, of Kevin Barbie as offensive coordinator. Kevin Barbie is not from the air raid tree. Doesn't mean they won't use any air raid principles or concepts, but he's not from the air raid tree, comes from App State. And so I do have a little bit of hesitation there in, in taking Will Rogers and knowing that, you know, he's he's going to lose his, his partner there and coach Mike Leach this year, but still a guy that's proven year after year um, to be a, a reliable quarterback. Yeah, I've he's put up huge numbers. You can't argue with that. Um, but you also, you have to consider the system. And when I watched Will Rogers in the second half of last season, I probably lowered my opinion of him. I just saw on too many occasions when a play broke down and he was required to make something happen, and he really couldn't do that. I mean, his his passing is based on accuracy, timing, get rid of the ball, and he's good at doing that. But when things go awry, uh, he he just he has a difficult time making something good out of something bad. So a new system, I, I just I really don't. I don't really think much of that pick. And uh, okay, okay. Uh, you know, honest, the other two uh, things on Will Will Rod, <laughs> he's not going to beat you with his legs. Um, you know, contrary to a couple of my other picks, uh, he, he's not going to beat you scrambling uh, or in design runs, and he's also not going to stretch the field. Um, you know, with downfield passing as, as much as some of these other guys either. You know, a Will Rogers pick is a pick based on accuracy. He's an accurate quarterback. Um, you know, the air raid I think positions guys to succeed if they are accurate and and uh you know know the system well which which he always did so but we're starting to get to a little bit slimmer pickings here so based on what was available i thought he was the best option yeah i guess um i guess i have the final pick here you do and i think it continues a theme it's one on i guess it's my optimistic nature i believe in people just because somebody hasn't had a scintillating start that things could get better so i'm going with uh, connor weigman of uh, texas a&m wow this one shocks me i know i i thought you might turn to old miss you're 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 pretty high on spencer sanders he's he's your guy now he's your new uh who, max johnson was your old guy that's right I, I, how how we've forgotten max johnson who who got who, laughed i'm by, sorry who yeah uh-huh uh, yeah. Okay. All, all in on Connor Wingman. You were encouraged by uh, the end of his his freshman year. Yeah, and I, I just think A and M was so bad last year, but when I saw it beat LSU, uh, that to me was a better indicator of A and M's talent than what that what was it a five and seven season was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have some talent to beat LSU and A and M. Uh, did have a lot of injuries. It lost some close games. I mean, it almost beat Alabama. So um, I just I, I just think he has a potential with uh, a new offensive coordinator, uh, with uh, some good receivers coming back. I look for him to have a breakout year. Okay, so the overall rosters here, you have uh, Nico slash Joe Milton from Tennessee. You have Jaden Daniels. I think that was a steal as as late as he, he got away there. You have Jaden Daniels with your number two pick, Carson Beck from Georgia, and Connor Wigman from Texas A&M versus my lineup of K.J. Jefferson, Spencer Rattler, Devin Leary, and Will Rogers. I, I think my would – would it be fair to say, John, that I think my group has maybe a higher floor? I've got a lot of veterans there, a lot of 
proven starters on, on my group. My group has a higher floor, but you might have you might have a little bit of a higher ceiling based on you know what's Carson Beck going to do, what's Nico Iamaliava going to do, what's Connor Wigman going to do in his first full season as a starter. I, I do think uh, you've got some guys with uh, you know some tantalizing p- potential there. Yeah, you're right. If you base it on production. You beat me to death in this draft. There's no doubt about it. I did get Jaden Daniels, who who had a who had really good numbers, but the numbers, the rest of my guys, they're not going to dazzle anybody. But I, I look at uh, I look at uh, Connor Wegman's potential, Carson Beck's potential, uh, how strong Joe Milton's uh, arm is, and how how Nico uh, his great potential. So I just think you're right. I'm going. Uh, I'm going for number one. I'm not okay. going to just be pretty good. Like I'm, I'm going for number one. If I don't get number one, I'm really not that concerned if I finish second or seventh. Okay. Yeah, I feel like you're like a college football playoff or bus type team. Yeah, I feel pretty good penciling myself into a, a New Year's Six bowl. I'm going right. to be just outside yeah. the playoff. Yeah. Uh, not there, there's going to be no bust of a season, but I'm not sure I got a playoff team on my hands either based on what I build at quarterback, but, but I'm, I'm yeah. winning 10 games with this team, I think. Yeah. And I could end up in the tax layer bowl. That's right. With my job in jeopardy. Before we uh, change gears to some coordinator talk, uh, as always, we appreciate you finding us here on sec football unfiltered and would appreciate it. If you haven't already, go ahead and click subscribe Uh, That way you do not miss an episode. We intend to be with you just about each and every week throughout the offseason. And if you want to welcome John back to the show after his stay in the hospital, John has told me the best way you can do so would be giving this podcast a a rating, a review, particularly if you enjoy what you hear. Those ratings and reviews help us find more listeners. All right, John, going in our second segment here, want to check on your health. You still feeling good? You uh, you need a nap? You need a rest? Uh, you do for any medication? Or are you, are you okay going into the final segment? No, medication usually works the other way for me. It's usually something else to overcome. I would like to inject a personal note, though. Remember my uh, 2002 Honda Accord? I do. And I, and I warned you recently... I read uh, read something in the paper. I still read a print edition. Um, <laughs> 35 years old reading a print edition. I mean, like a unicorn, I guess. But um, I was reading in the print edition a couple weeks ago that those some of those uh, old Honda Accords, I believe your 2020 or your, your 2002, excuse me, your 2002 Honda Accord qualified under a recall. There's some faulty airbags that uh, they were they were worried about. And I, b- I believe your old Honda Accord was was under those that were being recalled. So I'm, I'm very glad you you sold that. Best of luck to the to the new owner with those airbags. Well, see, I, I was ahead of you on that. I, I found that uh, I read that story. Uh, it was pretty chilling, actually. Recall is a euphemism. I mean, they're basically saying, don't you even think about backing that car out of the driveway. I think so. That airbag's going to blow up and you're going to have trap. more, more uh, shrapnel than if you're in the middle of a war zone. So, yeah, I called Jerry, uh, alerted him to this, and uh, he thought I was kidding. So, you know, let, let the buyer beware. Uh-huh. Anything else with your accord or was that it? No, that's pretty much it. I, okay. I'll see how things go with Jerry and the accord. All right. 
best yeah. of luck to him and hope he doesn't need those airbags. <laughs> I said, don't hit those brakes suddenly. <laughs> John, there, there's there's 10 new offensive coordinators in the SEC this year. That's, uh, I mean, we, we see teams play the coordinator carousel quite a bit, but e- even even with that in mind, 10 new coordinators is, is a high number. Um, there's only a couple teams that actually return both coordinators. I believe Florida and, and Vanderbilt return both their coordinators, and um, and LSU does as well. But other, otherwise, uh, everyone else in the SEC is replacing at least one coordinator. Some have replaced two, and and certainly on the offensive side, it's a new look. And, and to the more high-profile hires, John, where were Tommy Reese at Alabama had been the coordinator at, at Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly actually tried to bring him with him to LSU. Tommy Reese stuck it out for one more year at Notre Dame. And then uh, he he bounced. He's he's uniting with uh, Nick Saban. Interesting hire there. I, I think it suggests a direction away from what Alabama has been doing off- offensively the last few years. You know, slinging it around a lot of RPOs. Tommy Reese is is more uh, at least what he's been in the past. And, and Notre Dame suggests maybe more of a return to Alabama bully ball. Um, you know, a lot of handoffs, a lot of tight ends, play action passing, that type of stuff um, would would seem to to maybe be the the calling card for Tommy Reese there. And another high profile hire, a very familiar name and and Mike Bobo uh getting hired uh, from from the analyst slot back to offensive coordinator at at Georgia. He talked about a blast from the past. Mike Bobo's a blast from the past for for Georgia after Todd Monken who did a great job in three seasons there uh departed for an offensive coordinator gig in the NFL. Kirby for promoted from within going with with Bobo who you know, at the pinnacle of, of Mike Bobo's career, you know, when, when things were humming with Mark Richt, Mike Bobo had a great reputation as a recruiter, still does have a great reputation as a recruiter, uh, developed developed some of the best quarterbacks in, in Georgia history. But I guess the, the glass half empty version of this hire is uh, it's been several years since the, the zenith of, of Mike Bobo's career. He was he was fired after one season as an offensive coordinator at Auburn, uh, you know, was was at South Carolina. In the final year under Will Muschamp, Gamecock struggled on offense, and, and even at the end of his tenure at Colorado State, he had been trending down. So, depends whether you're you're looking at the best of Mike Bobo or or what we've seen, you know, in the last few years. Maybe Mike Bobo, what you think of this hire? As you look at those two, because Alabama and Georgia, you know, are compared so frequently anyway. Um, which of these hires do you do you like more? Do you think that's really a toss up? Um... I was surprised by the time he resire. He is a young guy, though. Um, the in his favor uh, that Brian Kelly wanted to bring him, go with him from uh, from Notre Dame to LSU. I'm a believer in Brian Kelly right now. Notice I say right now. I'm always willing to change gears very rapidly, but to right now I'm a big believer in Brian Kelly. So if he believes in uh, Tommy Reese, I mean that could be good for Alabama. Um, the I still see when you're when you're a program at that level with Georgia and Alabama though, and you make a coordinator hire, uh, I think the fans want to be dazzled. I, I mean, okay, we got all this talent. We're contending for a championship. Let's ratchet it up one more notch. Let's get one more plus. We signed the number one recruiting class. We're loading up on good transfers. What else can we do? And see, I think Todd Munkin did that. 
I, I don't he's considered somewhat of a vagabond and, and he's probably more of an NFL guy. But you can't you can't dismiss what he did with Georgia. Uh I know it he had talent there, but the way he got people open, um that Ohio State victory, I give him a lot of credit for that. That 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 last drive. I mean, he's a guy you go into a game, and I don't think there's that many coordinators like that. I don't think there are that many coordinators when you go into a game and you think, oh my gosh, what could this guy call? Hmm. It's like you're you're always concerned this guy's gonna be one step ahead. No matter what kind of alignment you have or what you do. Uh, he's already thought through that and he's three, he's as a chess master, he's, uh, three moves down the road. And I thought Monken did that. And Mike Bobo, as you mentioned, great recruiter. Um, he had an offense at Georgia that averaged 41 points a game when he was a coordinator there before, uh, averaged more than Georgia did this past season. Nonetheless, I don't think he can impact an offense the way Todd Monken can but I'm not sure Georgia could have hired anyone else who could. And so at least Kirby is getting a coach with whom he has familiarity and he's comfortable with. And I think that's an important component of success too. Yeah. And I wrote about this recently, John, if, if you're looking for like one missing line on Kirby smarts resume, and there, there, there really isn't much lacking at this point, but I, I think the final line on the resume would be he can make hires like, the best coach in the land. You know, I mean, one of one of the things you can say about Nick Saban um, throughout his his dynastic run at, at Alabama is he's continually made really strong hires for his coordinator spots. I mean, as we know at Alabama, they they frequently lose coordinators, um, you know, who get hired onward and, and upward. But Saban consistently has done a nice job in filling those positions, and they're not always the biggest name hires. Um, he has hired some big names over the years, but a lot of times the big names he hires have been guys off the scrap heap. You know, he hired Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, and even, you know, most recently as Bill O'Brien, those were guys who'd been fired. They were not at the pinnacle of their career. They started rebuilding their career with Alabama. Uh, but then he's he's kind of, um, you know, gone to even the mid-major ranks to make a hire. Um, if you look at Jim McElwain, uh, you know, when he came to, Alabama. He'd, he'd been the offensive coordinator at Fresno State for a season and, and really at the kind of the start of, of Alabama's dynasty had a good run as Alabama's offensive coordinator, doing it a different way offensively than they've done you know, the past sev- several seasons, uh, but doing it successfully none the, nonetheless. And that was, of course, a different era of offense in general in college football. And so Saban has a proven track record for hiring coordinators, even when he hires a guy who's not the biggest name at the time, usually works out. Now, Kirby made an amazing hire, like you said, in Todd Munkin, uh, who was instrumental in these last two national championships. We don't have as much of a track record, though, for Kirby to say that that his hiring track record, you, you can just rinse and repeat. Don't even question it. It's impeccable. Uh, you know, if Kirby's making a hire. Don't don't worry about it. I mean, you know, before Todd Munkin, Kirby had elevated James Coley to his offensive coordinator for a year after Jim Chaney left. And you know, that that uh, produced unsatisfactory results, I, I think you would say, in, in Coley's lone season as, as Georgia's offensive coordinator. And, and so they went in a di- different direction with Todd Munkin. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, 
I'm just okay with this hire of Bobo. I thought it was the easy hire, the unimaginative hire. Sometimes, though, those those are the hires you need to make. And the one thing I do like about it is um, he has been a consistent quarterback developer. And, and I think they need that for certain here as, as they're transitioning to a new starter. Carson Beck's obviously been around the program for, for a couple of years as a backup, but it is a whole, whole together different animal being the starter. And the other thing I like is, you know, I think they're going to want to uh, retain a lot of the principles of that Georgia offense they've been running with, under Monk in the last couple of seasons. Well, I mean, Bobo was in the program last year as an analyst. He had a he had a hand in this thing. He was, um, you know, contributing this offense. He knows the system. So as much or as little as they want to keep that going, that same system going with him, he ought to be able to to do that. So. I don't know. I think we make a lot of coordinator hires in the media. Sometimes we, we really want to make these things out to be a, a defining moments. I think oftentimes the quarterback makes the coordinator and, and not the other way around. A coordinator can certainly have an influence on on the quarterback. But I think we saw, um, you know, Joe Burrow was a great example. Did <laughs> did Joe Brady make Joe Burrow or did Joe Burrow help make Joe Brady? I think it was the latter. I, I think Joe, Br- Joe Burrow was was the key ingredient there. So yeah, I think both these these hires are fine. Neither one of them blew me away, though, in, in Tommy Reese and, and Mike Bobo. Blake, I, I think, though, when you're at Georgia's level, uh, two straight national championships, a uh, popular pick to win a third, as difficult as that might be, uh, you're going to do pretty well if you get most accomplished offensive coordinators. And it's not as though you'll unravel offensively. But I go back again to that, those the, that small number of elite coordinators or play callers who just have that real instinctive ability at the crucial moment to make a call, like the really great quarterbacks can make a play. And I think Monken could do that. And to be able to do that in college football playoff heat uh, in a matter of seconds. I just don't think there are that many guys that can be that good at that. So I still think that was a loss for Georgia. I agree. And and I, I do think, you know, I, even though I say the, the quarterback often makes the coordinator, uh, I don't know at, at Georgia that you might be able to make a case. It was the other way around because Stetson Bennett, you know, I think really meshed well with, with Todd Monken. And I, I think Todd Monken had a, had a big hand in, and Stetson Bennett flourishing the past couple seasons last year, especially as, as he settled into that system and, and Monken really changed Georgia's offense in a way that, um, you know, they were kind of traditional Georgia at the beginning, beginning of Kirby's tenure, really, you know, leaned on the running game, uh, much more balanced, you know, under Monken, particularly last year, Georgia was the only team in the country last year that ranked in the top 10 nationally for both rushing offense and passing offense. I mean, that's, that's tough to do you know, ranking in the top 10 in both those, those categories. Um, I'm curious though, John, before we go here, we, we've talked about Tommy Reese and, um, and Mike Bobo, those hires and, and you sort of teased Bobby Petrino when you're talking about Connor Wigman, you know, two of the more well-known names that were hired in this, this coordinator carousel were Bobby Petrino at Texas A&M and Dan Enos at, at Arkansas, Dan Enos making his return to Arkansas, I mentioned earlier, I thought he did a nice job as, as Maryland's uh, offensive coordinator. He's someone who who spent uh, a little bit of time 
on Nick Saban's staff. If you could have Bobby Petrino or you could have um, Dan Enos or Tommy Reese and Mike Bobo, who, who would you take from that, that group? If, if you're just hiring your, a coordinator for sort of generic Team X and I gave you those four options and said you got to pick your offensive coordinator from, from that group, uh, who, who would you go with? I think I'd go with Petrino. Uh, an experienced guy who's just really – I think he's one of those guys as a play caller that can make a difference. Uh, and, and I think he will at Texas A&M if he and, he, if he and Jimbo can coexist uh, okay. Uh, pretty strong-willed, so is Jimbo. Jimbo's a former offense coordinator. But Bobby Petrino, he's kind of, he's kind of fallen off the map with, a, with all that's happened – Falling off the motorcycle, falling off the map, a lot of falls there. With all, you know, with his career, still, when you go back and you and you look at what's good about Bobby Petrino, offense is good. I saw what he could do offensively at Louisville. I saw what he could do with it offensively at Arkansas. When he had Arkansas competing for a national title, I mean, he they had a great year there. They just happened to be in a conference that had LSU and Alabama in the same division. But that's what I think about with Petrino. And you and you brush away all the other stuff, his successes and failures, he's a really good offensive coach. And I wouldn't hesitate to put him in charge of my offense. How do you think those egos are going to coexist? Uh you know when when we know Jimbo Fisher decides okay or decides or was told or a combination of both Hey, you need to hand off your play calling. You need to bring in an offensive coordinator that's not just offensive coordinator and title only, but is actually doing the job. And and Jimbo is going in that direction. I think it was a necessary move. Um, Texas A&M's offense needed a facelift, needed a, a fresh look. They haven't. They've been trending down throughout Jimbo's tenure. His best offense was actually his first season at Texas A&M. It's been heading in the wrong direction. So he needed to make a change. But you could go a couple different directions here. I think you could hire a young coordinator uh, who Jimbo could have just steamrolled and and said, hey, you know, you're 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 coming in to be the coordinator. Technically, we're going to let you call the plays, but I'm, I'm the big personality in the room here. You're, you're answering to me, and, and really, I'm still running this show. Jimbo went in a different direction. He hired a guy that, like you said, has done it as a high level as a coach um, who's Got got a strong ego of himself. I don't I don't see Bobby Petrino laying down and being a doormat for Jimbo Fisher. Uh, uh, if he's expected to do that, it, this relationship's not going to go well. Do you think Bobby Petrino will get the freedom uh, to sort of do things his his way, and and will Jimbo check his ego at the door and and let Bobby Petrino do the job he was hired to do? I think Jimbo's already checked his ego at the door by making this hire. I mean, I don't know how big your ego is. If you've got any self-awareness, you have to you have to figure that, well, last year wasn't a rousing success. Uh, the offense was horrible. And I know there were injuries, particularly in the offensive line and so forth, but Jimbo had to look at that. If he has enough self-awareness to detach himself and his ego from this situation, and he's got to conclude, we got to get better. And I need to get a strong, very strong guy to run this offense. Because you hire Bobby Petrino, it's got to be, 
Bobby, it's your offense. It's got to be that way. If not, there's going to be a fist fight at halftime in the locker room. In week one. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat. That, it's just, I mean, Patricio could just, in the press box, just throw, throw the headset down and leave. Hop He's on made, his motorcycle, grab yes. a, a young blonde, uh-huh. and ride away. Off he goes into the sunset. He doesn't need the money, uh, and he's been known to make quick exits before. Uh, check the Atlanta Falcons. So I, I just think uh, Jimbo has got to say it's Bobby's offense, just as he might say it's so-and-so's defense. Jimbo has been always on the offensive side of the ball. He's just got to let it go. He's got to let it go, and and he's yeah he's going to have input, but he's going to have to be respectful of Petrino and what he can do offensively, and we can't have a lot of nagging. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? You can't have that going on. It's it's Bobby's offense. I trust him. We're going to pay him a lot of money. Ain't him pays everybody a lot of money, and that's what you go with. And I think if he can do that, if Jimbo can do that, uh, if this is, could work out really well, if he can't do it, I think Jimbo's going to end up being fired. All right, John. I'm glad you're not fired. Glad you're feeling slightly better. Uh, you're, you're upright. You're on the pod. It's good to have you back. I'm skeptical of uh, a little bit of your quarterback drafting strategy, but that just positions me to, to succeed. So good to have you back. Good to have You folks listening, uh, thanks for being with us here on SEC Football Unfiltered. We'll be back with you next week.